I really love the tone sometimes. Sorry, everyone. Didn't he have a big dick? <laughs> Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, hi, hi. Hi, pals. Welcome to What A Way To Go, a podcast about unusual deaths, near misses, bizarre stories. Yeah, I like doing it in a little free way. I instantly did. Menage like, a When I, I was just talking before we came on air, before we started recording, about how I lean back and really away from the microphone all the time. And I was like, I'm not going to do it this week. And then just instantly started about two metres away from the microphone. She's so laid back. She's practically horizontal. Oh, that's what my teachers used to write in my school reports. Really? Practically horizontal. Oh, well, you, um, I got, so you might have got this too, maybe not. Intelligent but lazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, to be fair, I didn't even really get the intelligent bit. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I didn't really read them. I was like, that. Yeah. that Ding and fuck, mate. Ding and fuck. Don't need to read that. I remember my English teacher saying that. You got very good. I mean, not that these counted for shit, but you got very good cat results, didn't you? Do you remember cats? Did you ever see cat exams? Cats? Cat exams? Sats? Nope, nope. Was cats. that, was that we year did nine? Sats as well, year nine, yeah. Huh? And then he was like, yeah, intelligent, but lazy. Oh, I was no. like, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Fair so just, assessment. assessment. I think that's still yep. an assessment for me right now. Like, relatively intelligent, but fucking lazy. I think You're... I'm less lazy, but I could be. Also, even lesser lazy. I mean, that alone <laughs> less, proves less it. Lazy. <laughs> Much less lazy. You are. You said this the other week that you think that you're lazy, or words to that effect, and you're really, really not. No, I don't. You're a grafter, mate. Yeah. Nah, mate. No, I'm not. I'm side hustle s- central. I'm lazy as fuck. <laughs> there was a thing. I think it was Georgina Hard. Georgia. Georgia Hardstark. <laughs> Georgina. <laughs> What's her name? We've been to see her live, and she said. I get annoyed that I think that I'm lazy, so I'm going to up my stuff by 2%. Mm. And even if that means I do one more thing off my list or do that, just to like the bare minimum extra, mm. and then I know that I'll feel better about being less lazy. So I've tried to do that. How's it working out? Fine. Good. I put, because I've always got the clothes pile, like the pile of clothes that you've half worn, half not worn, don't hang up again. Do you not do that, Elz? Um... Yeah, no, I do. Mine's a pile at the bottom of my wardrobe, and then I in actually, the wardrobe, yeah, I put them like at the bottom. Of, so because it's not like they're not clean and hang hanged up. They're not clean. No, it's more <laughs> that they're so they're not they're not hung up because they're not hanged up because um, I can't be asked when I'm really you don't tired. Respect them. Yeah, and I don't give a fuck about Rude. their welfare. Actually, absolutely um, awful. So it's more, it's not that they're not clean or not dirty, it's just that I couldn't be bothered. And then, you know, like throughout the week, because it's tired, because you get tired, don't you? You know, you know, being tired. Mm, never heard of it. Get like that. And then um, sometimes at, at the weekend, usually a Sunday job, actually, I'll just pop them all back on a hanger. Yeah. And then I'll wash maybe ones that I'm like, oh, I've worn that a bit. Or also ones that I've just run out of hangers for. Just pop that in the washing in the basket. Wash. Yeah. I ain't got nowhere to hang it up, mate. What am I going to do with the it? The washing is so long. Get another, get some more hangers. I ain't got I ain't got the space. What I need to do is chuck away some clothes. Yeah. Oh, that's so cathartic. I love doing a clothes. Yeah, chuck. I quite like it, but I do. I'm a bit too sentimental for it. So I've got stuff that I won't afford for ages. But I'm like, oh, but yeah, I'm the same. I'm. Yeah. I I know that I need to cull, and I just don't fucking want to. I'm too lazy to. I just don't want to bother. Anyway, the point was, yeah, I did sorry. five jumpers on a hanger today and that was my attempt wow. at not being lazy about the clothes like pile. when Joey puts on all Chandler's clothes in Friends yeah. you popped Bulky. five on one hanger no as in like I put away five things today oh, oh that's I what thought, I was yeah. ta- I thought you meant five 
was like, that is no, no, that's sorry. a strong hanger because jumpers are chunky, aren't they? I haven't got a strong rail, so that wouldn't have happened. No, uh, no I put five things away and a hanger, and then more. I put more away because obviously I was on a roll, <laughs> and then I got distracted by neighbours or something. Really so stop doing that. But anyway, I'm lazy. <laughs> that is true. In conclusion, I well, I disagree. But Take that I as a know. side note. Anyway, I'm Sarah Austin. Oh yeah, I'm Claire Daly. Eleanor Gamer. Mm. All right. And um, we have a c- correction to make. Oh, that, yes. Uh, I forgot about this yes. till just now. The producer Matt pointed out. Was it Matt or Steve? It was very much Matt. He was listening oh, to, yeah, don't even know what episode it was, actually. I reckon it's like episode 16, 17. Yeah. Yeah. The one where I did the guy that tried to go around the world in a balloon. And then we had quite a long discussion about Phileas Fogg. And didn't he do that? Didn't he go around the world he in 80 days? He famously went around the world famously. in 80 days, I think. And we were like, did he? Was it 80 days? Did I do? He's a fictional character and we <laughs> did not acknowledge that because... We didn't fucking is, know. Yeah, so actually, fuck off teachers that said we were intelligent but lazy. <laughs> we're not intelligent. We didn't even know that Phileas Fogg was, was a fictional n- character. Did not exist. Yeah. Absolutely didn't exist. And we're like, oh, but he did it in 80 days, so I mean... <laughs> and that was in like olden times. Mm, what was going on there? So um, so when I was like, what do they do? How do they sleep? It doesn't fucking matter because people don't do it anyway. People's not, people, someone's not done that. Richard Branson's tried. Well, no, that lad in the hot air balloon yeah. did do it. Did he? I thought yeah. he died. No, 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 he nearly died. He crashed into the sea. Was Were I you drunk? listening to my story? Yes. Well, I was probably... Were you at the end? I was probably drunk. I was at the end. I was at the end, yes. <laughs> I was hammered. Um, <laughs> yeah, so if anyone listened to that and was like, these I mean, if they listen to that and thought we were dickheads, they're not listening now. Yeah, so. you and God. This podcast is factually incorrect and it's upsetting me, so I'm not going to listen to it. That yeah. should have been a, new, a different name, the uh, AKA. We are factually incorrect. <laughs> factually incorrect. We can't guarantee these facts are true. I think we've already touched on the fact that nobody's tuning in for the facts. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. true. I thought it was going to say no one's tuning in. We yeah. have listeners. <laughs> We've got fucking loads we of listeners. We have got zero downloads and yet here we go. Another week. Someone will listen at some point, guys. 23 episodes in Just and zero downloads. Not even <laughs> us sitting, listening to our own. If you build it, they studio. will come. We said like, Matt hasn't even plugged it in. Nothing's recording. <laughs> Just, Just watch it. What are we editing then? Just conversations in our heads. It's <laughs> beautiful. Anyway. This is... The podcast that we've just described, we sit around, make each other laugh, we drink some booze, Daly's drinking mini bottles of Prosecco because she wants to feel like a giant. Oh, wait, we were going to get you a glass. That's uh, fine, I can just swig from the bottle. Oh, sorry. I was like the bad hostess because I was like, do you, want a, do you want a glass for that? Well, no, you were like... You carry on doing my stuff. Uh, do you want a glass with your Prosecco? Want, it was very, mm, like, what's very the Very judgy, judgy. Yeah, very judgy. Very, um... Judgy L's. My brain isn't firing on all cylinders, can mm. I just say. I'm quite glad I'm kicking off because I am very tired. <laughs> and I was thinking today, I've had like five hours sleep and I have lots of lots of my friends, including and my sister, are new parents and like notoriously parents of babies just don't ever really sleep. And I was thinking even on five hours, I was like... I, how the fuck do parents do it? Like, how do how do parents function? Yeah, because this is nothing. This is like a walk in the park, probably. It's. Yeah. I guess you're. Um, it's all relative, maybe. Yeah, like maybe. your. Uh, what do you call it? Your appetite. <laughs> I'm quite tired too. <laughs> uh, your. Uh, not endurance, but you know, like mm. your stamina. Yeah, stamina changes, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, and also, you don't go back to work when you've had a newborn. True say, yeah. So, like, there's differences, mm-hmm. I suppose. I mean, the reason. They wake I you don't up want to have... well early, though, don't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The reason I don't want to have kids is I don't want to get up early. 
I mean, that's kind of fair enough. I feel like some people go into it without knowing that, like, you basically don't sleep for at least five, six years. Mm. <laughs> I just, I woke up longer on... if you're a warrior, I've heard. Oh, really? Oh, well, you know, just if you worry a lot. Uh, I think my mum, I remember her once saying, I'm never not worrying years. about one of you oh. until like we went off to uni I always All worry but it doesn't affect my time. sleep <laughs> bye mum sorry <laughs> it never affects my sleep though what worrying well, I can yeah I, I can sleep through hurricanes can, oh Maybe. I've got better at sleeping through worries and I do something that genuinely works if I'm thinking about something at night shot of tequila yeah <laughs> just, to, just keep a bottle by my bedside I right this is a bit cheesy but it really works I imagine, like, you know, like, a classic present box, so, like, a box with a lid on it and then, like, a lovely big bow? Anything that I'm thinking about, I pop it in that box, I put the lid on it and I tie a big bow around it and I stop thinking about oh it. Oh, my. And it legitimately God, works for me. God, that's genius. Don't is that why. CBT? I mean, I've never had CBT. It's CB- not, well, it? It, is, it is like a like a coping mechanism. CBT is, like, you give yourself mechanisms to help with your triggers yeah that's wicked that is great well done <laughs> cheers guys I thought of it myself <laughs> no CBT night. needed no. no CBT myself baby <laughs> alright should anyway, I go should yeah. I do yeah. no else your daily nope. daily you go first alright so first of all big ups to my dear 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 friend Helen who is a regular listener and more specifically her mum Mary <gasps> Mary who, um, Helen who brought this to our attention um I'm going to tell you about the Late Late Breakfast Show. What? Is this ringing any bells? Mm-hmm. I met with blank faces, that's a good thing. <laughs> Neither of you know the story? No. Okay, so the Late Late Breakfast Show was presented by Sir Noel Edmonds. He's probably not a sir, is he? It's presented by Noel Edmonds in the early 80s. And it was a Saturday evening light entertainment show of the ilk of probably the current... Iteration is like Anton Dick's Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Takeaway. Oh, okay. Or Michael McIntyre's. Saturday Night Live. Am I tired? They wish. They wish. They yeah, did yeah. Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah. They do wish. They wish. So, it was um, on the BBC, Saturday evenings, ran for five series between September 82. I just remembered we do a podcast about death. What the fuck is this story well, going to be? Well, mm. it's actually... Noel Edmonds is alive, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quite sad. going to be the 50-year-old Joe Wicks, because he was so buff in... That's oh, Noel Edmonds. Buff? Noel Edmonds. I'm a celebrity. He was an I'm a celebrity. He did Deal or No Deal. Yeah, yeah. 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 Is he buff? Yeah, he's quite like. Well, <laughs> he's 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 all right for a 50 year old. Oh, no, God. he's no, he's I mean, no, he's. Not. I mean, I didn't watch it, but also I, surely he's. Wait, you didn't watch what Deal I'm, or No Deal? I'm a celebrity. <laughs> what? Ah? He's on I'm a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one yeah. knows what's happening. He got Noel his Edmonds. top off because he was in I'm a Celebrity for a he's week. Ca- Noel Edmonds is currently in or was in recently. Was in, he's out now. I think he was first out. Oh, right, okay. And he, and he was buff for a 50-year-old. I'm using quotation marks. Listeners. But he's not... No, nah, I'm not having that. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's awful. Anyway, I'll tell you one more thing that makes him even more awful. <laughs> out and out murdered them. Fuck, I think I know kind this of. story. I know this oh story. Yeah. This is quite a terrible story. Yeah, it's actually oh, you really, did actually really, tell really me this sad, is yeah. a real bummer. I gave Els a bit of a heads up because oh, I was no. like, oh, you know, sometimes stories, you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. And you read it and you're like, oh, it's very, very mm. sad. Okay, let's tone ourselves down. <sighs> okay, so the Late Late Breakfast Show, as I said, Light Entertainment, BBC, Saturday evenings, five series. So it was a bit of a mix of stuff. It was like live audience, audience interaction. There's a bit of live music. ABBA played a couple of times. Um, Paul McCartney was on doing a very awkward interview one time because apparently there was some kind of exclusivity over the music video, but then 
they didn't the music video wasn't made on time so he was basically contractually obliged to go on this show and apparently he gave this really awkward stilted conversation so anyway I'd, n- I'd literally I had never ever ever heard of this bear in mind I was like two when it finished oh right well, and that's... you weren't Els definitely wasn't born you were you were about three months old I mm. think so my, my you prime. know it wasn't really El- <laughs> <laughs> you've never looked back since um, it wasn't really any of our ballpark, but you know, you kind of even things like um, what was the other Noel Edmonds thing that he did, Swap Shop and stuff like that wasn't our era, but you know about it, don't you? So yeah. anyway, Late Late Breakfast Show was completely news to me, and part of what the show did was a segment called <clears throat> Give It a Whirl, which was involving members of the public and a kind of Wheel of Fortune style game, and basically. On, around the wheel was various stunts that had to be performed. And so these are like a mix of all kinds of real, like when I say stunts, like film stunts, like the ones that Tom Cruise does himself, you know, jumping out of helicopters, massive like car jumps, like proper, proper stunts. And um, the, the idea was that members of the public would spin the wheel, land on a stunt, they'd have a week to practice the stunt and by the same time, that the following Saturday they had to perform it and it's actually real people doing actual real stunts not a lot sounds health and safety laws back then terrible Terrible. I mean again it probably is one of those things that at the time it wasn't fun television yeah Yeah, you know might be a problem yeah so um there had been concern that the show stunts were too dangerous in fact, the BBC was twice threatened with legal action by the health and safety executive. So the health and sa- safety yeah, executive was around at that time. I don't know when that was formed. But, you know, they were around and they were, like, trying to get them to sort their shit out. So, basically, there had been concern that the show stunts were too dangerous um, and the health and safety executive stopped via legal action planned stunts such as plucking a member of the public from an exploding chimney by helicopter... So someone's like wedged into a chimney that is exploding and they have to get out via a helicopter this point. Sounds bananas, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a nightmare, a literal nightmare that Els would put in a box. Like that's a yeah. horrible Put that in your gift box. Um so yeah, there was a number of things that were like just really, really dodgy. So on tenth of September nineteen eighty three, stunt driver Richard Smith fractured his pelvis and injured his head, neck and back after crash crashing at 140 miles per hour during a live stunt and I was watching some of the videos of these old stunts I don't know if it was literally this one but like John Peel was a guest presenter and basically nearly had his head taken off by one of these stunts like on a car track this is like really yeah really really insane also in 1983 Barbara Sleeman broke her shoulder after being fired from a cannon oh god I didn't think that actually that happened outside of circuses in like the 1800s I know um, and she said, I quote, the BBC don't give a damn, they just want the viewers. Sorry, BBC, we do love you, but, you know, you fucked up on this one. I think you dropped the ball. Anyway, so now to the actually incredibly sad, I'm very sorry, uh, story of the death of Michael Lush and the subsequent cancellation of the Late Late Breakfast show. So on 13th of November 1986, self-employed hod carrier, which is um, kind of like a hod is like a you might have seen them. They're kind of like the the big kind of like pallets with long sticks that people carry bricks on, like bricklayers carry. Yeah, and like tiles and yeah. stuff. Um, so the self-employed hod, hod carrier Michael Lush. What do you know what I'm talking about? It's someone's job just to carry well, that. Well, I mean, it's probably part of the bricklay. Like you're probably in a team of bricklayers, and you 
carry oh. your bricks around. I thought maybe you'd carry your bricks and then you build your bricks yeah. and then you go and carry some more. Maybe it's a different skill set. Makes One sense. really strong shoulder for a yeah, hard carrier. Yeah, that's true. And, actually, and then nimble knees for the bricklayer. And also, much quicker job to do it on a conveyor belt. Yes, yes, yes mate. Go very much get them so. on, while you're building that, I'll go and get some more. Yeah. Makes sense. Bosh, Fine. Bosh, bosh. Sounds like they've got it covered, actually. They, they don't need my input. The construction industry's yeah. got it covered. <laughs> you're all right there, guys. They're doing. We should, should we phone them up and just let them know we've cracked it we're part of the new health and safety committee and uh, we think you're doing a great job you're actually doing really well well done nothing nothing to report it's fine carry on um, so yeah um, November 1986 Michael Lush um, who was 24 Aww. tiny tiny baby um, and all the pictures I've seen of him he looked like a right laugh and he looked like a young vibrant gorgeous man Um he was killed during his first rehearsal for another live stunt. So it didn't happen live on air, but it was in that week of, you know, you've picked this stunt from the Give It A Whirl wheel, so you've got a week to rehearse. So and was he like an audience member? That yeah, got, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Or I don't know whether they were literally in the audience, but or they stopped people out on the street or people oh, kind right. of phone up. But he was just a member of the public, basically. Mm. Um, so the stunt was called Hang 'em High. It involved bungee jumping from an exploding box suspended from a 120-foot-high crane. What? Yeah. I mean, just bungee jumping anyway. I would not. Never. I wouldn't. No, and I don't, like, I'm quite, I don't feel like I'm that scared of sort of heights or anything, but I just fucking wouldn't do it anyway, no. let alone from I've heard exploding. The only story that, the first story that I heard about bungee jumping was that someone's eyes popped out mm. and I just won't go anywhere near it. <sighs> not anywhere near it. Sensible. Sensible. Yeah. I like my eyes in my head. They're very nice eyes. Thanks. Yeah. have <laughs> got lovely eyes, actually. Mm. Hurting well, with me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so basically, the the clip that attached the bungee rope to the crane that was exploding sprang totally loose from its bolt during the jump, um, and he died instantly on impact, oh, like on hitting the ground. Like oh, it's, the, what, it's the worst possible nightmare, like the yeah. worst. That's what everyone who's slightly scared of bungee jumping is afraid of. Basically, the inquest, so obviously there was a massive inquest into it. The Late Late Breakfast show was cancelled like the next day. Um, Noel Edmonds didn't really do TV for like two years afterwards, apparently. Like apparently he was really like affected by it. Um, he did because he, he resigned saying he didn't have the heart to carry on. Um, so there was obviously an inquest which recorded a verdict of misadventure. So it's not necessarily, you know, um, lack of, well, obviously... In reality, we can see that it was a lack of health, proper health and safety procedure. But the inquest um, recorded a verdict of misadventure. Um, but the jury were informed of several failures on the part of the BBC. Um, so the head of the health and safety executive at the time stated that the clip could have been opened by the weight of a bag of sugar. Oh, so it would have just taken nothing to open it. Yeah, why wouldn't you test it with yeah. anything other than a human yeah, phone? Yeah, exactly. And um, apparently he demonstrated that he was like pulling on the clip and out of 20 times that he pulled on it it came loose 14 like oh my god yeah Fucking it was hell. never going to it was never going to hold him um and then david kirk a bungee specialist from dangerous sports club stated that a similar stunt he had been involved with used three ropes as opposed to the one used by the bbc um and used shackles in place of these clips the safety officer for the show, Andrew Smith, was not on hand. No supervision or demonstration from a trained stuntman had occurred. There was no, also no way for Lush to contact the ground once he was in the air. So, like, he's up in this crane, this box that's about to explode and he bungee jumps out of it. There's no one up there with him and there's no way of him contacting anyone on the ground. The jury heard that he delayed for almost two minutes before finally being instructed to make the jump. 
I guess, from the ground or whatever, or from like a signal. Um, furthermore, despite evidence against it, the BBC production team had insisted on the use of an elasticated bungee rope. Um, so that's kind of, that's it. Um, it. It put pause to Noel Edmonds' TV career. It's one of these things that from a light entertainment show, early 80s, had no real understanding of the repercussions of these kinds of stunts. Yeah. It was probably just like, it's It's kind of the, when I was reading about and watching the clips, it's kind of a bit like you can imagine like an old, like old school TFI Friday, like mm. doing like zany madcap stunts with audience yeah. members and yeah. actually... There's a bit different between like dunking someone in custard mm. to letting them bungee jump off a. Yeah. Thing. It's like a Takeshi's Castle. No, what's that program? White Total Wipeout that's still on the BBC where people are jumping on. It does look dangerous. I right? just, yeah. if I, I, looking at that makes me dislocate a knee. Like, I don't <laughs> understand how no one doesn't yeah. get seriously injured. Like, yeah. they get completely body slammed off mm. stuff, like, mm. whammed into some water. I don't know how anyone doesn't break a back or something. It's yeah. crazy. And yeah. I don't find it funny no I no no it's sort of cringy it makes you go like, Ooh. Yeah. yeah so yeah that's the intriguing very sad yeah really death sad. of michael lush sorry <clears throat> start us off with a sorry bummer. yeah yeah it's fine. i mean yeah it's good to know that story because i'd never heard of it before so. i feel like i i that i don't think i knew the story but i feel like i knew that something happened to noel edmonds where someone had died on yeah. the program that he'd been I wonder if, like, that made... Because, you know, he's a bit, like, strange with his cosmic ordering and his... We think someone cured cancer by, like, Thinking about it. Yeah. (laughs) Something weird like that, like... (laughs) I wonder if that, like, made him snap a little bit. So that's a late, late breakfast show. Um, Hopefully the last of that kind of risky death. Hopefully. Should we move on to L's? Yeah. Have you got a nice one? (laughs) Um, I mean, obviously, none of it is nice, but <laughs> a lovely <clears throat> death. A lovely death. Mine's a, I think, a fairly well, mm, semi well known. Mine's one for any uh, A level history fans out there. <laughs> Absolutely not. I didn't do it past year nine. Fucking hated history. What? Yeah. I love history. I loved it. And I was so bad at it. You and I were very different then because you were big into geography, weren't yeah. you? And I was like, I don't want to do that beyond having to do it. When two tribes go. Actually, to be fair, at A level, all the geography students just went on fucking field trips all the time. Oh, yeah, constantly. Absolutely didn't. So I spent my 18th birthday driving back in a in the drizzle from Wales in a minivan sexy because of geography lots of fun mm. I um your boyfriend geography <laughs> I just marry geography, geography. <laughs> love it so much okay so I'm not really going to tell that much about anything that I learned in history but Rasputin comes up in Russian history because he was um a big player in. Player. I mean, yeah, he was a player, and also he yeah. Didn't was he have a massive dick? Massive penis. Yeah, I've heard this. Oh, I didn't. That's not in my story. <laughs> that's I was laughing. Notorious. Don't you think they taught us that in A level history? Drawing dicks on the oh, whiteboard. Oh, big dick Rasputin. Yeah. Okay. So this is. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I really love the tone sometimes. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Didn't he have a big dick? <laughs> um, technically a murder. But I'm not really going into the murder. I mean, I kind of am. Sorry. Who so loves a murder on this non-murder podcast? No. I've only done a murder. Well, basically, this is similarly to something that I've did before where this guy just wouldn't die. Die. Okay. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm just going to talk you through it. Please. Okay. So, <laughs> Rasputin's really famous because he 
has a huge dick. Big dick. <laughs> Big dick energy. Big dick energy. <laughs> Pete Davidson of the Russian oligarchs. <laughs> Tell Ariana Grande. Quick. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, we're railroading. Railroading? How do you say? That's fine. Please do. I'm <laughs> Rick rolling. <laughs> dick rolling. <laughs> Oh, I need a lighter. I've only had one and a half beers. <laughs> Fuck. Sorry. Sorry, listeners. Sorry. Keep with it. Sorry, Rasputin. So, he was kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. sure. Sorry. In the um, court. I guess we call it court. Yeah. Yeah. Royals and that. Yeah. Of Nicholas II and his wife, Alexandra. And that was because he was a self-proclaimed... Holy man. Oh. Anyway, I'm going to start a few years back. But do you think a self-proclaimed holy man means a bit of a, could have been a cult leader? <gasps> yes. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I think so. So, essentially, he was born just as like a a, a normal Russian guy, you know. Um, 1869, a little while ago, wasn't it? Yeah. And he was born, oh, hello, our old friends the Ural Mountains come up. Did they oh. come up in my story about before? Yeah, that was yeah. the... the mystery yeah the disappearance what? Yeah. Yeah, the, the story yeah he's got nothing to do with it but he was born in the area it was Rasputin I just love <clears throat> Russia never been but you know so he was living quite a normal life to begin with he married a local woman <laughs> a local had a woman he had a lot to go around a local woman and he had three children I think he had more children actually but he had three surviving children because I imagine life was quite hard mm-hmm. in very very cold Russia yeah in the 1800s um, and he worked on a farm but in 1892 he went and spent some time at a monastery sure sounds quite nice yeah and that t- took him on on a path to international renown because that's how he became woke mm, maybe just like mates with people in high places I guess but apparently he never took his holy orders so he was a charlatan he's a charlatan exactly Apparently, a lot of men in his position would normally give up like past lives and relationships, but not Rasputin. No, mm-hmm. no, no. He continued to see his family. He had his daughters live with him in St. Petersburg, and he supported his wife financially. He was quite a charismatic person, so he was this holy man who didn't take his holy orders, but still, and he had the charisma. So, yes, cult, cult leader, leader, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of his kind of religious beliefs and he was such a charismatic guy he came to the attention of um some of the russian orthodox clergymen and then senior members of the royal family which is how he then became introduced to nicholas ii and his wife alexandra was it nicholas and alexandra that got all the faberge eggs i'm thinking of our friends outrageously unnecessary and i'm thinking this is why but the bolsheviks are ringing maybe I think it was these guys were in power mm. when when they riot the Bolsheviks took power essentially and oh, they were sorry. so right, I think it was yeah. Alexandra that was they were the uprising right by, yes, yes 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 so yes potentially they oh, no. they, they oh, maybe it was on my favorite murder my, my favorite murder yeah. did they, cover yes, they did mean. but not Rasputin I think they covered Alexandra but he comes up in that he story. does come up because mm-hmm. of his links to scrap all that yeah. yes um so they um, 
they were quite into Alexandra and Nicholas II were quite into kind of spiritual advisors. They'd consulted unconventional advisors in the past. Um, but Rasputin had an ability to read their inner hopes and basically tell them what they wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. So that was why he became quite quickly uh, sort of welcomed into the family. So he encouraged Nicholas to have more confidence in his role as a Tsar. And Alexandra, I think, was quite an anxious person and he kind of was able to counsel her and that soothed her anxieties. So by the First World War, he was he was giving political advice and he was recommending ministerial appointments to the family um, and this was not on to, for much of the Russian elite. They think they thought he had too much sway, too much power within this family. He really like cemented his kind of trust, not his trust, but their trust when he was thought to help their son, Alexei, who was a haemophiliac. The Tsar's sister, the Tsar's sister, (laughs) um, who was the Grand Duchess Olga, uh, said that she observed that Rasputin was healing Alexei by kneeling at the foot of his bed and praying and that he created a, a calming atmosphere and that possibly assisted with the recovery. And they also say that Rasputin, obviously he had this kind of relationship with Alexandra and was calming her anxieties. So he was kind of creating this atmosphere that was allowing perhaps more of a healing kind of environment. Definitely cult leader material. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So another thought as to why he possibly helped Alexei with his recovery is because at the time aspirin was considered a cure-all remedy in Russia for lots of different things and obviously with haemophilia aspirin's not great because it creates a thinning of the blood and Rasputin was quite insistent that Alexei did not take aspirin Mm. so that could have been another reason why he helped him um but he kind of became this self-appointed spokesman of the peasantry but then he was also kind of seen as being in court and affiliating himself with the royal family so this was creating some controversies people were not particularly happy about him i think there were mixed feelings about how much he was involved with the royal family what his role was there and how he was kind of this man from very humble beginnings kind of speaking on behalf of them but also seemingly enjoying everything that comes with basically being a member of the royal family mm-hmm. he appeared to bask in his fame he had embroidered sh- shirts made for him by the empress and he would um, invite her friends and her service to his home apparently Rasputin's wife was was not really that bothered by um, the fact that this was going on <laughs> and give a fuck. like rumoured infidelities she just said he has enough for all there you go. That's the implication. Big dick. Big dick. Big dick energy. BDE. People started to become quite frustrated. Not frustrated, but um, started to become quite resentful of him. And the press kind of got onto him and created a bit of a narrative about him, which parts of which may have been true, parts of which may have not been. Rumours started to go around about his influence over the Tsarist regime. And then they started to spread throughout Europe. Rumours started circulating that Rasputin was having an intimate affair with Alexandra. So soldiers on World War One's Eastern Front were talking of this. So it was becoming quite a world, not a worldwide, but a continent-wide thing. Mm-hmm. And people kind of just 
thought this to be true without any evidence. Um, and outlandish stories continued to progress um, as the war carried on. So people began to believe all these rumours and what they thought was true was impacting their views um, more than the truth, uh, which seems to happen now. <laughs> yeah, history repeating itself. So, as you may not be surprised to hear, people's feathers were ruffled, I as they say. So. Uh, and some people thought, I'm going to fucking do something about this. So, a plot to kill him happened. Happened. Of course. Uh, and that was by a chap called Felix Yusupov. Um, and he decided that he wanted to take down Rasputin. So, he worked with co conspirators um, and they believed that. Getting rid of Rasputin would give Nicholas II one more chance of restoring the reputation and prestige of the monarchy because I think at this time, obviously, there was a lot of other stuff going on Mm -hmm. in Russia that was politically um, unsettling and people were starting to get frustrated with the rule of the... Tsar and the fact that that was a very... um, Hierarchical. Hierarchical, like, you know, within one family. Mm Mm-hmm. So, of course, at this time, there was all this other stuff going on where the Soviets were on the move anyway. Um, so they felt that if Rasputin was gone, the Tsar would be more open to advice of his extended family and nobility and he would be less dependent on on Alexandra. I mean, maybe Alexandra had some good fucking ideas, mate. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they decided that they would plot to kill Rasputin. And the reason that I'm doing this story is because... The eventual murder of Rasputin is quite well known because basically it took fucking ages to actually do the job. So they initially decided that the best way to get rid of him would be to poison him. Uh So they had him for dinner and they served him a platter of cakes and numerous glasses of wine. Mm. Uh, I'd go to that. Well, all laced with potassium cyanide. Oh dear. Oh, no. Less interesting. I mean, that won't be on the invite, so I'd probably still go. Yeah, I'll still come. (laughs) Um, But Rasputin was loving it. He was... (laughs) Gobbling away. Yeah, having his cakes. cakes. Eating them too. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Washing it down with some wine. Um, Nothing happened. He wasn't... Was nay dying. So... um, the next thing they decided to do was like, well, oh, just fucking shoot him then. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle poison didn't work, so I just shoot him in the face. So the Grand Duke Dimitri, who was the Tsar's cousin, then decided to shoot him multiple times, but he was still unable to kill him. God. He just kept on going. Um, it's quoted that there was something appalling and monstrous in his diabolical refusal to die. He was a holy man. Maybe mm. this is like it coming out. They did eventually get rid of him and uh, his official cause of death was drowning. But given that he was laced with cyanide potassium and shot multiple times, the fact that he then finally died from drowning is quite bizarre. Did um, they drown him? Did they try and drown him? Yeah, I think they in the end they just chucked him in a river. Oh, right. God, he really wasn't, he wasn't going down, was he? Was no, like a witch. Not without a fight. So after he finally died, there were quite mixed um, 
reactions from the public because of his reputation. So the elite from where Yusupov and the conspirators came, they were very happy about the fact that he had died. They applauded the killers. But the peasantry actually mourned Rasputin because they saw him as one of his own and they thought the murder was another example of the nobility controlling the Tsar. Um, So a peasant who rose to a position of influence in the Tsar was just ended up murdered by the wealthy members of the elite. The killing of Rasputin didn't actually lead to a radical change in the politics of Nicholas and Alexandra's court. Um, And so to the emerging Bolsheviks, Rasputin symbolised the corruption at the heart of the imperial court. Mm. And his murder was seen rather accurately as an attempt by the nobility to hold on to power at the continued expense of the proletariat. So that was obviously another nail in the coffin of the Tsarist regime in Russia, which led to the uprising of the Soviet Union. So that would be a pretty good source you could add into your history paper there. Nice. Um, Will so you be sharing references? Can we quote, can people quote you in their dissertation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. What a way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Else? I'm de- I'm de- everything I've just said is oh, definitely true. You Very know, accurate. Do not fact check Especially me. Especially the big dick bit. Yeah, that was definitely true. Yeah. The original Pete Davidson. <laughs> uh, I think Alexandra wrote a song about him and popped it on her album, actually. Thank you. Right. Next. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Nice. Poisoned, shot, drowned. We just fucking die already. I thought cyanide spaces kill you in like a mm. 10 minutes. Maybe he was... Lacking in potassium, so it just helped him yeah, out. Actually, made him much healthier. <laughs> yeah, thanks. This is great. Oh, fucking brilliant. Stop actually. taking aspirin. I got a I bit of potassium in right me. Now. Yeah, it's great. Um, can I tell you something that really exposes my ignorance, my aforementioned ignorance? Mm. I have always conflated Rasputin with Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, <laughs> you have as well. Yeah, all the fucking time. Rumpelstiltskin. It wasn't Rumpelstiltskin, a little goblin man from a fairy tale. Yeah, <laughs> who was who was fictional. Let's just say we yeah. know the fictional. difference. Fictional, but I fictional kind of thought Rasputin man. was. Fictional. Yeah, well, because I didn't really understand the difference. I didn't like. I didn't really know that it was two separate things. I always just thought it was fictional. And then sometimes <laughs> I get it confused with Rapunzel. <laughs> Here he is. I mean, there's a picture of him. He was not like. He was not Jesus. hot to trot. <laughs> no, but. Cult leaders aren't always fit. No. Was, Name a fit You're trying to leader. tell me he was charismatic? That hair needs a wash, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, he looks like a dirty hipster. And he's... Wait, hang on. Right, there's quite a disturbing picture on yeah, this side. Yeah, I don't side. want to see that. I'm but Why look, is that there? Those eyes, though, they are looking into your soul. What? No, no, no. I I'm not saying I fancy Rasputin. Let's just, can we just clarify this. I don't fancy Rasputin, but those eyes are quite intense, so you could see why you might be like, why are you... Pulled in like a tractor beam. Staring at me like yeah. that. No, I'm not into it. I'm not into it. I'm just clarifying. Well, I mean, you pretty, much are, pretty much just admitted you're into it. I definitely don't fancy him, but they. Elle's did the story because she fancies Rasputin. Yeah, heard it And Rumpelstiltskin. Yes, heard it in your notebook. And who's Tom Thumb? <laughs> Is he the same? He's fictional, right? Was uh, Rumpelstiltskin anything to do with Thumbelina? And then there's Tom Thumb as well. Didn't Rumpelstiltskin Stiltskin? <laughs> Skillskin. <laughs> Did he do something on a like a spinning yeah, wheel? A spinning, um, wheel. A spinning wheel. Yeah. Thumb. There's someone bring a thumb. <laughs> a thumb. Well, I'll just Did Google just... it. I'll just Google it. He, I think maybe wasn't he, did. he just on the spinning wheel for fucking ages? No, I no. Or oh, maybe he was, and then someone had to say his name to get him off the spinning wheel. 
Yes. Mm. <laughs> Just called him for his tea. Oh, Rebel Skillskin. <laughs> Skillskin. Your tea's ready. Rumpel, get, get down off, here. Get off that spinning wheel. I got, I got the tea. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he's a grim fairy tale, but... Was his girlfriend Thumbelina? Thumbelina doesn't come out. I swear to God there's some link. Didn't Thumbelina go out with Tom Tom, though? They're literally from the I mean, the that fame. makes logical sense. But I've always associated one of the Thumb family with Rumpelstiltskin, who I thought was Rasputin. Maybe Tom Thumb and Thumbelina were brother and sister. <laughs> and then Thumbelina married... In-laws. Yeah. 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 R- married Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin. Well, no, because Thumbelina was written by Hans Christian Andersen. So the plot of that was that <laughs> a farmer's wife who always wanted a child asks a wise old woman where she can find one. The woman gives her a magic grain of corn and that grows into a beautiful flower which sits the tiniest little girl the size of your thumb. Thumbelina. Uh, so I don't think so. So but, who, who's Tum Tum then? Who's oh, that's an anomaly. Anyway, listeners, Google it. And <laughs> Let treat, us know. treat yourself to some grim fairy tales and some Hans Christian Andersen. While you're at it, Little Mermaid. Just, you know, just check in on The Little Mermaid. Sarah, why don't you tell us your story? Okay, I will. Good. Claire Daly. That's what I'm here for. Okay. This is what you came for. It's a great tune, actually. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of the Collier Brothers. Have you heard of it? Absolutely no. not. Well, that's good. Um, so, brilliant name, Homer. Homer Lusk Collier Jesus. was born November 6th, 1881, and Langley Wakeman Collier wow. was born October 3rd, 1885. These names are giving me life. Yeah, future. Homer future. Lusk, Langley Wakefield. Wakeman. 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 Lovely, lovely, lovely names. They were the sons of Herman Livingston Collier, who was a Manhattan gynaecologist. and. Sure. His first cousin, Susie Gage Ooh, Frost. Oh dear. Uh oh. 1800s lads. Not different a times. great idea. Um, he, and, she, and Susie was a former opera singer. So cool. Cool as fuck. Yeah, great. So far, so interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so Homer and Langley, the brothers, attended Columbia University. Homer obtained a degree in Admiralty Law. Niche. What? <laughs> uh, and Langley studied engineering and chemistry. So both. Pretty Smart. intelligent lads. Yeah. yeah. Langley was also an accomplished concert pianist and he played professionally and also performed at Carnegie Hall, which, as we all know, because of Home Alone or something, is prestigious. Um, in 1909, the family moved into a four-storey brownstone in Harlem on Fifth Avenue. Gorgeous. I bet that was a hell of a house. I bet. I bet it was. I bet it was amazing. Uh, but the family, for want of a better word, was quite eccentric. Uh, so Dr. Collier was said to frequently paddle down the East River in a canoe to the city island, sorry, to the city hospital on Black- Blackwell's Island, where he sometimes worked, and then he'd carry the canoe back to his home in Harlem after he came ashore on Manhattan Island. So just a lad that walking down the road of a canoe. Exhausting. Yeah, commitment to that canoe. And the brothers, when they were adults, claimed that their ancestors had travelled to America from England on the Fortune the ship that arrived in Massachusetts a year after the Mayflower in 1621, 
But actually, the Collier's mother was descended from the Livingstons, a New York family of roots going back to the 18th century. And Robert Livingston was the first of the Livingston family to immigrate to America in 1672, 52 years after the Mayflower. Mm. So they were a little bit of a an interesting, eccentric bunch. But anyway, in 1919, or thereabouts, Herman and Susie separated. Dr. Collier, the man, moved to a new home, um at 153 West 77th Street, if you were wondering, um, while Susie Collier stayed in the Harlem Brownstone. So she got she got the house. Um, Homer... That'd be worth a fucking fortune yeah. these days. She really should have held on to that. Mm, I mean, yeah. She's dead, but <laughs> they're all dead. Homer and Langley never married or lived on their own and chose to remain with their mother when the parents split. Dr. Collier died in 1923, so only four years later, leaving his sons all of his possessions, including items from his medical practice, which they then brought to their home in Harlem. Susie Collier died in 1929, leaving the brothers all of her possessions and the Harlem brownstone. So they had both of their parents' possessions and the big fucking house in Harlem. Where is this going? Mm. Uh, (laughs) After their mother's death... And they just lived a long and happy life. The The end. (laughs) After their mother's death, the Collier brothers continued to live together in the Harlem brownstone they inherited. For the next four years, the brothers socialised with others and left their home on regular basis. On a regular basis, Homer continued to practice law, and Langley worked as a piano dealer. Both also taught Sunday school at the Trinity Church. Sadly, in 1933, Homer lost his eyesight due to a hemorrhage in the back of or hemorrhages. So two um in the back of his eyes and that meant that langley quit his job to care for his brother and the two began to withdraw from society as time progressed the brothers became fearful due to changes in the neighborhood the largely upper class area changed dramatically due to the economic effects of the great depression Mm -hmm. um the brothers were also uncomfortable with the shift in racial demographics as more african-americans moved into the once empty apartment houses that were built near a projected subway route when later asked why the two chose to shut themselves off from the world, Langley Collier replied, we just don't want to be bothered. Fine. Uh, as rumours about the brothers' unconventional lifestyle spread throughout Harlem, crowds began to congregate outside their home on a regular basis. The attention caused the brothers' fears to increase, along with their eccentricities. T- after teenagers threw rocks at their windows, they boarded them up and wired the doors shut. After unfound rumours spread throughout the neighbourhood that the brothers' home contained valuables and large sums of money, several people attempted to burgle the home. In an attempt to exclude the burglars, Langley used his engineering skills, because that's what he did a degree in, to construct booby traps and tunnels among the collections of items and trash that filled the house. This soon became a maze of boxes, complicated tunnel systems consisting of junk and trash rigged with trip wires. (gasps) Homer... And Langley lived in nests created among the debris that was piled to the ceiling. Because of Homer's blindness, he relied heavily on his brother. Langley later told a reporter that he fed and bathed his brother, read him classical literature as he could no longer see and played piano sonatas for him. He also tended to Homer's health and was determined to cure his brother's physical ailments through diet and rest. Langley concocted a diet for his brother consisting of 100 oranges a week. No, it's too many. Where's he getting them from? (laughs) Um, Black bread. I don't don't know. What is that? And 
our holy grail peanut butter. Oh, delicious. <laughs> um, claiming that his reg- this regimen was curing Homer's blindness. Oh, of course it was. Love. That is not a certified treatment, no. I don't think. No. After Homer became paralysed due, due to inflammatory rheumatoid... Too much vitamin C. <laughs> too much vitamin C. Opposite of rickets. Rheumatism. He refused to seek professional medical treatment because both brothers distrusted doctors. Oh. The brothers feared that if Homer sought medical attention, doctors would cut his optic nerve, <gasps> leaving him permanently blind. Oh, no. He's already been blind for four Whoa. or five years by this point. Oh, dear. Um, and they thought that they would give him drugs that would hasten his death. Langley Collier later told a reporter, you must remember that we are the sons of a doctor. We have a medical library of 15,000 books in this house. We decided we would not call any doctors. You see, we knew too much about medicine. So, delusions of grandeur. Yeah. Did you? (laughs) Did you? Did you read a couple books? Um, So, in November 1942, nearly 10 years after they became recluses, the Bowery Savings Bank began eviction procedures and sent a clean-up crew to the home. Langley began yelling at the workers, prompting the neighbours to summon the police. When the police attempted to force their way into the home by smashing down the front door, they were stopped by a sheer wall of junk piled from floor to ceiling. They found Langley in a clearing he had made in the middle of the debris. Without comment, he wrote a cheque for $6,700, which in 2017 was the equivalent of $100,514, paying off the mortgage in full in a single payment. He then ordered everyone off the premises and withdraw from the outside scrutiny once more, emerging only at night when he wanted to file criminal complaints against intruders, cool, get food or collect items that piqued his interest. So he would, I didn't put this in, but apparently he would leave the house in the middle of the night through like different different doors and stuff um, and he would just walk for miles like sometimes he'd walk to Williamsburg which is like a good t- a good area away like 20 miles or so and sometimes he would just buy a loaf of bread and come back um, or sometimes he would go dumpster diving and like get fresh fresh food that had been tr- tossed or speak to guys that were in um, kitchens and stuff and just get free food so he was an interesting character but he only did it in the dead of night he didn't ever go out during the day um, and obviously Homer didn't because he was blind. Mm. He couldn't. He wasn't self-sufficient. Um, so on March 21st, 1947, an anonymous tipster who identified himself only as Charles Smith phoned the 122nd police precinct and insisted there was a dead body in the house. Oh, God. The caller claimed that the smell of decom- oh. decomposition was emanating from the house. As the police were, co- were used to calls from neighbours about the Collier brothers' home, a patrol officer was dispatched. The responding officer initially had a difficult time getting in, obviously. There was no doorbell, there was no telephone, and the doors were locked. And though the basement windows were broken, they were protected by an iron grill work. An emergency squad of seven men eventually had no choice but to begin pulling out all of the junk with- that was blocking their way, and they threw it out onto the street below the house. The brownstones foyer was packed solidly by a wall of newspapers, folding beds, chairs, half a sewing machine, boxes, parts of a wine press and numerous other pieces of junk. A patrolman finally breaking through a window into a second storey bedroom, but behind this window lay, among other things, more packages and newspaper bundles, empty cardboard boxes, the frame of a baby carriage. No one had a baby. A rake and old umbrellas tied together because... Why not? Why not? You need them all. Um, After five hours of digging through the debris in the home, Homer Collier's body was found in an alcove surrounded by filled boxes and newspapers that were piled to the ceiling. 
Homer was wearing a tattered blue and white bathrobe. His matted grey hair reached his shoulders and his head was resting on his knees. But Homer's, Homer was the one that could see, right? No, Homer was the blind uh, one. Oh, sorry. I thought he was the one that could see. Homer was the blind one. Oh, God. The medical examiner confirmed Homer's identity and said that the elder brother had been dead for approximately 10 hours. Mm. According to the medical examiner, Homer died from starvation and heart disease. Police initially suspected that Langley Collier was the man who phoned the anonymous tip regarding his brother's death and that he fled the house before the police came. Um, So a police officer was posted outside the home to wait for Langley, but he never showed up. Police began to suspect that Langley was dead when he failed to attend Homer's funeral, which was held like 10 days later. Um... So once they'd found Homer's body, rumours began circulating that Langley had been seen aboard a bus heading for Atlantic City. So they staged a manhunt all along the New Jersey shore, but it turned up nothing. Reports of Langley, um, there were sightings that led police to a total of nine different states. The police continued searching the house, removing 3,000 boxes, several outdated phone books, a horse's jawbone. What? A Steinway piano an early x-ray machine and more bundles of newspapers. More than 19 tonnes of junk were removed from the ground floor of the brownstone. The police continued to clear away the brother's stockpile for another week, removing another 84 tonnes of rubbish from the house. Although a good deal of the junk came from their father's medical practice, a considerable portion was discarded items collected by Langley over the years. So he just continued to pile that house full of absolute shit. Order. Um, Yeah. Approximately 2,000 people stood outside the home to watch the clean-up effect, which is a lot of fucking people mm-hmm. standing outside the street. On April 8th, 1947, a workman found the body of Langley 10 feet from where Homer had died. Mm. Langley was found in a two-foot-wide tunnel lined with rusty bed springs and a chest of drawers. His decomposing body was the actual source of the smell reported by the anonymous tipster, and he had been partially eaten by rats. Oh, God and was covered by a suitcase, bundles of newspaper and three metal bread boxes. The medical examiner determined that Langley had died around March 9th, so this was before Homer died. Police theorised that Langley was crawling through the tunnel to take food to his paralysed brother when he inadvertently tripped one of the booby traps that he had created and then he was crushed by the debris. His cause of death was attributed to asphyxiation. Both brothers were buried next to their parents in unmarked graves at Cypress Hill Cemetery in Brooklyn. Um, so, yeah, that's the really sad story about the Collier brothers. I take it back. I don't imagine that brownstone is worth very much. No, well, actually, because um, they never left and nothing was done to it, it went into quite bad disrepair. Okay. So they had a lot of problems with the house anyway. Mm. And then when it was finally cleared because everything had to be taken out like there was leaking roofs part of it had kind of subsided so it was razored not that long after they died so it's worth nothing well it's land now Um, but two things because this was quite a a big story obviously at the time and they were quite well known in New York so two things have kind of filtered pilfered into popular culture so a Collier's Mansion also Collier Mansion or just Collier is a modern firefighting term for dwelling of hoarders that is so filled with trash and debris it becomes a serious danger to the occupants and emergency responders Mm. which is really interesting and then in in season 6 episode 17 of Frasier called The Dinner Party Martin the dad likened the cloistered togetherness of Frasier and Niles to that of the Collier brothers which I would have obviously heard because I've seen all of Frasier a million times but I've never known that story to know that that's the thing and Mm. I lived 
it, when I lived in my first house in Belvedere, I lived next to a, ho- a compulsive hoarder, Shit. and he had to get evicted because his house was a fire hazard. Yeah, it must and he be would so like so dangerous. Post yeah. pebbles and stones through his door. Oh gosh! And like he, I think he had a car accident, and he like he he went downhill quite quickly after that and his mental health was really affected. It's very, it's really sad, isn't it, hoarding? Yeah. Like, it's such a strange manifestation of mental illness. Yeah. Um, oh, shit, those poor lads. Yeah. yeah, that's a really sad story. Yeah, but really fascinating. Yeah. And, like, the fact that they were so intelligent and obviously so close and everything like that, but he Homer was very, very poorly, but yeah. they didn't want anyone coming in to help. It's mm. kind of... They kind of got scared and shut off and that, yeah. that kind of feeling probably perpetuates itself didn't yeah it? didn't help that they were racist no i mean they no, were yeah. scared of african didn't like change so. never heard of that story no at all neither yeah. had i till i looked good it work. up very good work thanks thanks pals listeners sorry if you heard some weird scrapings in during that story we we're can not hear sure them what in it areas, was but you might not have been able to hear them we think it was ghosts ghosts yeah. from daly's house mm-hmm. coming yeah. to find 100%. her 100 yeah. following you everywhere um on the subject of not ghosts, we move on to girl crushes as the mm-hmm. end of our podcast. Ghost crushes. Ghost crushes. <laughs> we move on to girl crushes because we like to end the podcast on a, on a positive. positive note. And it's all about women that we think are inspiring, intellectual. They look really good. We like their shoes. Doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. We just like them a lot. We like them a lot. Uh, mine this week is Clara Amfo. Uh, I don't know if you follow her on, on uh, Instagram. She's no. a Radio 1 DJ. Um, who I, I think she just sort of f- fell into my... I think someone maybe, like, retweeted her or reposted her or anything. I just sort of started following her because I thought she looked quite good. Um, so, yeah, she does, like, the mid-morning show on Radio 1 and she's, A, a total babe and, like, posts really good, interesting things. Always looks amazing. Her fashion is, like, totally on point. But my favourite thing that she does is she... Uh, posts on Instagram screenshots of WhatsApp conversations she has with her Ghanaian mother <laughs> about like she basically Clara will have been to some amazing premiere or she would have been like hosting she hosted the Mercury Prize this year oh cool so she's like obviously this is like a massive red carpet event and she'll post she'll like text her mum pictures of what she was wearing and her mum mm. will just give her the most cutting critique of what she's been wearing she's like well darling it's a nice colour but really it's too short I like your friend's <laughs> dress much more than yours <laughs> it's just it's really she does it on quite a regular basis and it's really uh, it really makes me smile it's really like affectionately um, down to earth down to yeah. earth yeah knocking you down nice. a peg or two yeah so Clara Amfo that's nice. mine it's very nice um, I came a bit unprepared, but I watched the second series of Making a Murderer fucking ages ago, Ooh, by the way. I seen it yet. But anyway, um, and I really liked Lauren Ryder. Have you have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Um, who was Brendan Dassey's like post-conviction, post-conviction lawyer, uh, who I think worked okay. for the Justice Project. Yeah, she started, didn't she, as a student in the Justice Project and then went on to take cases like Brendan's. Yeah. I just really liked her. She was very down to earth and very passionate about what she was doing, but like, um, not like dramatic or anything like that. Just really, obviously, working for things that she believed in. I liked both of them because she worked with this guy as well, and they both just seemed like very mm. good people who are obviously working very hard for something that they felt was a complete miscarriage of justice mm-hmm. uh, and she had to like present her case to the seventh circuit which are like seven judges and that must be 
terrifying. Mm. Yeah, that sounds um, intense. And in the series, they make a um, like a not an illustration. What am I thinking of? Uh, the, the animation yeah. of what of what was going on. So you kind of hear what she says, but you don't see it. Um, just like a very good person doing good things. So smart as fuck. Smart as fuck. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Still quite young and as well. Work, and being that smart. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, impressive. Yeah, so she's pretty cool. Nice one, Laura Narada. Mm. Very nice. Mm. Mine is Alison Hammond. Oh. <laughs> Have you seen okay. the new... Why From Big I... Brother? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, this might not mean anything to non-British listeners, sorry, but there's a new game show, and I love a game show, with Joe Lycett. And I, I love, love Joe Lycett. Lycett. It's called The Time It Takes. Okay. Please watch it if you've never watched it. I don't think I've laughed that much what at a game show for ever length time. I can't tell you. BBC? Channel 3? 4? Sky? One of them. <laughs> it's definitely on TV. It's on a channel. <laughs> I've seen it on TV. I've seen it on the TVs. On TV. But basically, the premise is, it's your standard question and answer trope, mm. but mm. the time it takes <gasps> is one of Alison's oh weird uh, things. And you have to pick which you think is going to be the longest, so you get the longest time to answer the questions. But they are the most random slash disgusting oh, things. I understood the concept. Carry um, on. Okay, so <laughs> the one that we watched, I think it was like one of the first couple of episodes, was how long it takes Alison to pipette this custard into a jug. Oh. One was how long it takes her to put these um, felt balls into this pot using only Vaseline <laughs> and her nose. <laughs> Um, really random stuff and then they have like celebrity guests and then one of them was like a girl group and they had to do something and they had to guess how long it would take them like it's so fucking random and weird and I'm not too sure if it's Alison's actual decisions or like she works with a team to do it but it just reminded me how much I love the woman. I think from someone that was on reality TV, yeah, she really smashed it. She, she should have been brother, born yeah, a star. Yeah, yeah. Like she's so funny. Didn't you see? It was earlier this year when she was doing. She re um, revived the this morning weather map <laughs> and pushed topless man into the, the Thames. <laughs> like she's just so funny. She's so good at like interviewing celebrities. Yeah, did make- you did you show me? Where she was in a hotel room interviewing someone like Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling. Yes. And like they were all just pissing themselves. Yeah. They like clearly really loved her. Yeah. And were like, but really she does that to everyone. Yeah. Like everyone, like even like, because Harrison Ford's apparently not that good. He doesn't really care about interviews anymore. But like, mm. even like George Clooney, Brad Pitt, she gets them pissing themselves laughing. She's so funny. She's so down to earth. Oh, that's a good one. And then when I watched that program the other day, I was like, she needs, she needs like an Oscar star or something. <laughs> Oscar star? No, like a star on the Walk of Fame or something. She's so funny. Mm. And I just love her. Oh. I wish she was my friend, actually. Mm. I wonder if she's got a near death experience. Does she want to come on the show? Yeah, maybe she does. But yeah, please like um, catch up on that sh- on that game show if, in any way because it is fucking hilarious. So it makes me feel a bit sick because I'm not mm. very good at like food debris and weird stuff. But like, it is funny. Oh, nice. Uh, cool. That brings Can us to done? the end yeah. of yeah. episode. Yeah, that was a treat. Twenty three. No idea. Absolutely no idea. 23. Yes. Um, thanks to all. Lots of my, I would say family. No no one in my family listens. Uh, my sister of, started listening. Did she? Hi, Daily. Daily. Hi. Um, Hi. Hi. <laughs> That's a big yawn. <laughs> I was just yawning about the thought of other people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not you, Sarah Daly. No, Sarah Daly's the best. The best. The, the queen of the fringe. Yes. Um, and I say that knowing that I've got a great fringe too. You do. Um. Lots of my friends are very happy that we're back. 
and my friend Danny, who moaned at me, didn't moan at me, but said that I've never shouted him out. He is a fucking staunch listener. He's a big fan. D-boy. D-boy. He learns a lot from the podcast too, which I, I really like. Um, but no. he calls me squares now because you guys call uh, me squares. And then when we talk about the I podcast. Don't. No, you don't, do you? Actually? Do you know what, though? No, it's not that I don't like it. Here's a freaky about me. I find nicknames awkward, even with my very close friends. Just popping it out there on the table. What do you call me? Sarah. Do you call me Claire? Yeah. Never daily? Rarely. I feel like you've, maybe you've never directly addressed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, who are you? Uh, I, mate. I'm just like, hi, hi babe. <laughs> but can't bring yourself. I can't believe that neither of you have noticed it. I always find, and then, and then, right, this is, it needs to go in a box, actually. But <laughs> <laughs> then it becomes something that I'm like, oh, like, I've never, so now it's awkward because it'd be weird for me to just be like, oh, squares, because I've never called you it. I find nicknames awkward. I don't know why, but it's out on the table now, I've said it. I think I love you a bit more knowing that, actually. Do you? Just, yeah, live your life, Els. I don't know my mind's at all. I've not noticed slash cared that you don't call call me squares. All right, I'll call you both squares and daily now. If you could call me my full name, Claire Claire Daly. Just Claire Daly. Claire Daly. Claire Claire, No middle name, Daly. Daly. No nickname, middle name. I said nickname. I call you loads of weird things. I like Dalesford. Dalesford, Dalination. Um, there's yeah, Dalesford Farm. Is it in my oh, head? Oh, I call my cat Wendleton now because yes. I call him Wendleton. Good. But yeah, anyway, Danny, Danny calls me Squares now, and he's got a picture of the Squares crisps as Aww. my face when I text him. Aww, that's nice. And the mm. other day, this person doesn't know I'm going to mention him. A guy that I used to work with long ago messaged me out of the blue to say he listens to the podcast. What? And he's a big fan. My friend Ollie that I used to work with. Wow. Gosling, not related to Ryan. Um, and he messaged me saying, Sarah, this podcast is not about murder. Also, Sarah, where would you hide a body? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's very accurate. But you just need to know these things. So, yeah, thanks to all of our friends. All right, my uh, dudes. Cool. Um, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. We love you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.